I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. What's up, everybody? It is Tuesday, January 14th, 2020. Welcome to the new year, everyone. We've gone through uh, two... Well, first of all, this is the fourth year of the Wong Takes, if you count 2017, 2018, 2019, and now moving into 2020. It's really exciting, uh, and I'm glad that you guys could all be with here during this ride. It's been a lot of fun, and we're capping off what I can't believe is already our third football season, or we're getting at least toward the end of it, with the NFL season rapidly coming to a close. We've only got four teams left, as hard as that is to believe. And with the college football season having come to an end last night. And it's arguably the best football weekend of the year. We got four great matchups in the divisional round. And then, of course, the college football playoff ending. And we are going to get underway. So let's start by talking about the college football championship. The championship between LSU and Clemson, number one and number three. The LSU Tigers coming in with a record of 14-0. and The Clemson Tigers coming in with a record of 14-0. and And the LSU Tigers came away with the win, the purple and gold, 42-25. to As far as the game itself, I think it more or less went as we expected. I mean, this LSU offense has been so dominant all year, setting the SEC record for points that you knew at some point they were going to break out. The question is, one, could the Clemson defense hold them off at all? And two, could the Clemson offense keep up? And I think we saw the Clemson defense hold early, uh, getting stops early, but the Clemson offense and Trevor Lawrence really couldn't keep up. So once Joe Burrow got going in the second quarter, completing deep throws, Jamar Chase in particular, uh, he got involved. Uh, the game was pretty much over. Uh, the only way Clemson, I think, in my opinion, as I was watching the game and watching it unfold, at that point, the only way Clemson was going to get back into this thing was going to have to be to slow down the game, um, would be to get Travis Etienne and uh, going and block well. Um, and ultimately, they weren't able to do that. They had to throw. They kept giving the ball back. A couple of their drives were less than a minute long. And at that point, I mean, you, you're not going to contain LSU and Joe Burrow after that. And so is pretty much over. And Joe Burrow himself, the absolute stud of a quarterback, set the all-time passing touchdown record. He actually wasn't as accurate in this game as we've seen him before. Uh, I mean, he missed some throws. Um, But I think what happened was, and why I think Clemson needed to slow down the game, was that he had so many opportunities that it didn't really matter if he wasn't completing all of them um, because he was hitting his deep throws. When he was getting out the ball out early, they were really successful in the pass game. And that ultimately led them to success and led them to touchdowns. On the Clemson side, Trevor Lawrence, he got out of rhythm early. I mean, after getting out to that 17-point lead, they could do almost nothing for the rest of the game until it was too late. And a lot of overthrows, 13 overthrows in this game, made the difference uh, pretty clearly because what Joe Burrow is strong at and is his accuracy and if an LSU's defense uh, is known for only leaving those little tight windows they don't bust out coverages very often and so Trevor Lawrence needed to be accurate and he wasn't and they couldn't complete on third downs 
Uh, also, T. Higgins being hurt for a good chunk of this game didn't help as well. Um, and so that was really the story of this game. Now, as far as the legacy, LSU and Ed Orgeron, Joe Burrow and the Tigers have won their, what is it, third or fourth championship this decade? First since 2011 when they beat Alabama. And it's this LSU team is going to be remembered as historically great. I mean, when Ed Orgeron came on a few years ago, he wasn't thought of as this type of championship-level coach. But, you know, I think part of... Uh, and it, it it sounds weird, but like what part of the reason he's been successful is he meshes so well uh, with the program and with the school and with the surrounding area. I mean, he's you've just listened to him speak. He's Cajun by heart. Uh, he spoke French to a report, a French reporter or a Quebecian reporter, which I think is hilarious and very on brand. And the culture is such a big thing that he was able to institute and. People understood what LSU was about when he was there. You know, a lot of teams struggle with identity, but you know, with Orgeron, you're gonna get, you're gonna really get immersed in the LSU culture and the brand. You're gonna get a strong defense. Um, I think the offense came as a surprise to all of us, um, but I think that identity was never a problem with them. Um, but also, this offense was historically great. The most points ever scored in the AP poll era. As I said, Joe Burrow with the most passing touchdowns in a season in FBS history. They also played the second tough schedule in the country. I mean, playing six top ten opponents uh, at the time they played them is ridiculous and unheard of. And to go undefeated um, is just crazy. I mean, Georgia, uh, Auburn, Alabama, Florida, Texas, and Clemson all defeated. Um, and all were top ten at the time they played. And so... To go through that gauntlet of a schedule, second only to Ohio State, which I don't even know if I agree with, um, is brutal and just goes to show how great they were. Uh, dominant defense as well. I mean, holding a Clemson offense led by Trevor Lawrence to only 25 points. Uh, this defense was great top to bottom, filled with star players, uh, most notably Grant Delpit. Uh, but holding you know Auburn to 20 points, uh, holding... I don't know, Florida to 28 points. I mean, these were really tough opponents, and even though the defense didn't always play complete games, they stepped up when they had to, and that's how you go undefeated. And capping it off with a historically great win by ending Clemson's 29-game win streak, uh, of course, is just the cherry on top. So it's it's kind of fitting, and, and you wanted this. I think most people were rooting for LSU in this game because it's hard not to get behind at Ordron, and also Joe Burrow leaving as a SEC graduate and a, a senior uh, going to the NFL, this is how you want him to go out. If you look at Clemson, meanwhile, I mean, they don't look bad at all for next year. They're the betting favorites at 2-1. to one. Um, And if you look at the situation around the country, you've got Joe Burrow, Tua, just Jalen Hurts, Justin Herberts, all going to the draft, which means that you got Trevor Lawrence coming back for his junior year with his only real competition uh, that was – uh, that quarterback this year being uh, Justin Fields. And he's going to be hungry. He's going to want his second out of three. And I expect him to come out guns blazing. And plus, Clemson has a top incoming recruiting class. Uh, so they're, they've got a lot of momentum coming in. It doesn't look like there's a challenger in the ACC that's going to really pose another threat to them. And it looks like chances are they, they run the table, uh, head to the head to the playoff again, and get another shot at this thing. So I wouldn't feel sorry for the Tiger, the Clemson Tigers. Um, but 
you know, they'll be fine. And LSU uh, is going to be fine. I think they're fourth already in like the, in, in the very way too early preseason top 25. So this wraps another season of college football. Uh, we got a lot of uh, big names emerging. I think it was nice that we got to see a name emerge that we didn't expect coming in um, in the form of Joe Burrow. I mean, it's nice to be every once in a while just reminded the reason that we love uh, the sport in the first place is because you have these guys who are just, you know, they're kids. And they come in with little expectation, little analysis surrounding them. And they just get to go out and ball and get recognized for it and have a lot of fun. Um, and so it, it's great to see them recognized for that. Um, and I, I love just how this season played out. Um, maybe we'll, we'll get to next year something to look out for, seeing the Clemson dynasty again grow even more, see where Alabama comes back. Uh, now especially the two is gone, see where they go at the quarterback position um, and so on. But thank you guys for riding out this college football season with me. It's been a lot of fun. And now let's slide over to the divisional round. First of all, there were some shocking exits in the wild card with the Patriots and Saints both losing to uh, six seeds. Uh, I don't think we've we, we've seen we haven't seen something like that in a long time. Um, and I don't think it's the end of the, an era for both of these quarterbacks. But you know, you get the obvious the reactionary news cycle coming out of it and saying, "Oh, are they done? Is uh, are they going to retire? Whatever, whatever." And you know, uh, we don't know anything. Uh, a lot it's a lot of bloviating with not very much evidence and you know it fills the airwaves but it's not going to be anything of substance so but we did have some substance in the form of games uh this week first off the early game local hour the Niners and the Minnesota Vikings this was just from start to finish a perfect game uh for the San Francisco 49ers uh it's their first playoff game in years and the first checkbox they had to really meet was, were they going to have a good start? Was there going to be a playoff letdown? Uh, in the pregame, they were really confident. They were loose. They were, uh, some people argued, almost too loose. And the question was, were they going to suffer because of it? And the quick answer is no. Get a three and out right away. Jimmy G hits a bunch of short throws, slants to get him going. Wide receivers not dropping balls on that first drive, I think, is is... Uh, an understated aspect of this, and they go right down the field, score a touchdown, answer all questions right away. The next question, um, what, the, uh, what was the offense going to do? Because we haven't seen Jimmy G in a playoff game yet, and the answer was a resounding get back to the run game. Uh, they ran the ball a lot in this one. Let me check the stats. 47 rushes for 186 yards. And the drive that took the momentum for good in this game was in the third quarter, they ran it eight times with no passes for a touchdown for 44 yards and took five minutes off the clock. I mean, that's good old smash mouth. You know what's coming and you can't stop it football. And it was just an absolute joy to watch. Uh, and I think it, it demonstrates that, you know, there was a lot, there's been a lot of talk in recent years of, you know, is the passing game taking over for good? And there are times when people say it's a running game taking over, although it's not as flashy. But, you know, football, I think, is a sport that is always going to be you need a good balance with the pass game and the run game if you want to win Super Bowls. What was also nice to see was Tevin Coleman getting back and going again. You know, this Niners team this whole season has rode the hot hand when it comes to the run game. And in past weeks, that's been Raheem Mostert. Uh, and in weeks, you know, in, in earlier in the year, it was Matt Breida. But now Tevin Coleman 
got to have a good game, finally. 22 carries, 105 yards, and two touchdowns. You know, it's refreshing to see a team so selfless like this, not worrying about who gets the touches, being okay with getting, you know, quote-unquote benched for the game. It's not even benched. It's just someone else is running better than you right now, and that's not your fault, but we're just going to run them more, and it's okay. Um, And... The run game, I think, is so crucial for the Niners is because it's it's the great equalizer against quick strike, really good offenses, um, is having the ability to slow down the game um, and burn some clock, keep your uh, defense off the field, I think is a skill that the Niners have done really well. Also, what they excel in is misdirection, and running a majority of runs with some kind of backfield motion allows you to kind of just get out of a rut or prevent yourself from becoming predictable while still being able to run the ball uh, the way you know best. Also, Debo Samuel uh, continues to be a big threat on offense and is quickly turning into wide receiver one. Uh, 42 receiving yards um, and also a six-yard run. I mean, getting him involved in the game and being a true wide receiver one, uh, I think is going to be huge for the Niners, uh, not only this year but in years to come. Now, less of a question was the defense. We kind of knew what they were going to do. Um, but they answered. They stepped up to the plate. I mean, the, the defensive line made plays all day long. Six sacks on Kirk Cousins, and more importantly, Dalvin Cook only with nine carries for 18 yards. Uh, this, the, the Vikings knew that this line was good, and when they couldn't get anything earlier in the game, uh, they switched to the pass game, um, and that I think was what the Niners wanted. I mean, you don't want Dalvin Cook running all over you, and Forcing the Vikings to become one-dimensional was a big part game plan-wise toward the Niners winning this game. Um, And also, the secondary stepped up, with the exception of one bad play from Akella Witherspoon, but he got benched pretty quickly, and he took it in stride, so once again, credit to this team and this culture. Um, But what the secondary was able to do for the majority of the game was make Adam Thielen uh, and Stephon Diggs not non-factors, but significantly, they weren't game-breakers um, that were going to ruin your game plan. I mean, Diggs, two receptions for 57 yards, which most of them coming on that deep touchdown. Um, and Adam Thielen, five catches for 50 yards, the long of only a long of only 17. Um, so Adam or um, the Niners' defense and the Niners' secondary played a large role in this game. Having Richard Sherman in particular for covering wide receiver ones is such a luxury. I mean, imagine you you're essentially able to take out one player their top wide receiver for most of the game. Uh, and that's what having him on an island is allows you to do, and it's such a big factor. Uh, also, the third aspect, special teams. Uh, the Niners controlled field position for most of this game, with the exception of Jimmy G's interception. Uh, and the muff of the punt by the Vikings and Mostert's recovery sealed this game, more or less. So the Niners just dominated in all three phases. Um, and I think that's... That was what won them this game, uh, the fact that they dominated. Uh, And if they can keep this up, I mean, this is a recipe for success. Uh, Quickly over the other three games, the Titans beat the Ravens 28-12 in the shocker of the week. And against the Ravens, uh, Tennessee had done what no other team had done for the last three months, which is get out to a good start. I mean, the Ravens hadn't trailed in the second half since uh, week five. And the Tennessee Titans going out, getting out to a 14-0 start, uh, was what won them this game because the Ravens, Lamar Jackson is a good passer, but you have to, he doesn't want to be pass first. The Ravens offense doesn't want to be pass first. Along with the Niners, they were the most one of the most run-heavy offenses in the league. 
Um, and so it's not as much Lamar Jackson is a poor passer. It's more about knowing that the pass is coming um, and being able to not bite on runs as much um, and stay over the top. I mean, the Titans played in coverage really well in this game. Um, in addition, with a pass-first offense, you can always keep a spy on Lamar Jackson. Uh, they didn't really let him escape for that many big runs. Uh, he, was, he wasn't he was a non-factor. I mean, he made plays. Um, but And he's had 143 yards of rushing, but it wasn't that type of... It was He was a volume rusher, I think, is what made the difference. Uh, Lamar Jackson also, well, he was missing on some throws. He got a, threw a couple of picks. Um, but I think the telling stat from this game is 514 yards of offense and only 12 points for the Baltimore Ravens. The Titans' defense was clutch as clutch can be. Um, only giving up, um, you know, the 12-point, the, the touchdown and the two field goals, despite giving up over 500 yards of offense, uh, is was the recipe for beating the Ravens, is stopping them on fourth downs, going 0-4 on fourth downs for the Ravens. Um, and when the offense loses momentum like that, that's the way to beat them. Meanwhile, for the Titans, Derrick Henry was the nail in the coffin uh, for the Titans, particularly when they're working with a lead. Uh, you, that's how you control the clock, control tempo, um, and win the game. And so the Ravens, uh, their season ends way earlier than we thought they would. I had them going to the Super Bowl. Um, but I don't think it's time to panic in Baltimore. I mean, the playoffs are brutal, and to some extent they're dictated by luck. I mean, the interception on the first possession of the game for Baltimore was kind of unlucky. Uh, and I, I totally expect them to be back in this position next year. I don't think much has to be changed for Baltimore. Lamar Jackson is still a generational talent. Uh, I, I don't think the league still has too many answers. But I think what happened, this was partly a game plan error. I don't think the Ravens should have went to passing, and I don't think Bal Lamar Jackson should have thrown 59 passes um, and have started throwing that many passes that early. And I think that was the problem for them. Uh, in the Sunday slate, the Chiefs beat the Texans 51-31. That was a very interesting game. After going down 24-0, the Chiefs scored seven touchdowns and seven possessions. The Arrowhead ran out of fireworks. But I think what Houston was missing in this game and the reason they didn't end up coming back was, one, they made a lot of mistakes. Uh, I mean, the fake punt was just a disastrous decision. Don't give them momentum like that. Um, and fumbling on the kick return obviously was a large mistake. But I think what the Chiefs, or what the Texans did not have that Tennessee did, and the reason Tennessee was able to pull off the upset, was having that run game. Uh, Houston only had 94 yards of offense in this game, or 94 yards of rushing in this game. And when you can't control the clock, when you only hand the ball off 21 times, once you get up early, I mean, you don't want to abandon your game plan, but at the same time, uh, you don't want to at least throw some misdirection in there. You know, keep the clock running, keep your defense off the field. I mean, their defense got gassed, uh, and that's why Kansas City was able to win this game. And I think the Chiefs, part of it is the Chiefs are kind of the Ravens with not necessarily with their rushing ability, but uh, with Patrick Mahomes in particular having a year on Lamar Jackson. Uh, Mahomes has become a better pure passer in that year's time. And they almost made it to the Super Bowl last year, but Mahomes has become better. Um, and I think being able to control the game a little better 
both from a player and a coaching perspective, is what also allowed the Chiefs to have some poise and win this game. In the nightcap, the Packers beat the Seahawks 28-23. Uh, as a Niners fan, woohoo. Uh, the Packers in this game uh, found the passing attack. Uh, they got Devontae Adams involved heavy, heavy, heavy. Um, eight receptions for 160 yards and two touchdowns. And Jimmy Graham also getting uh, involved with three catches for 49 yards. Uh, Roger, Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur, rocky relationship maybe at the start, but they found their groove. Uh, Devontae Adams, who was a non-factor because of injury for much of this season, uh, is really getting in a rhythm. Um, I think having that passing attack back, huh, uh, rhyming, uh, is huge uh, for Green Bay. And I think on offense for the Seahawks, it was their line struggles that made the difference. Not much of a running game, 24 carries, 110 yards, um, and they forced Russell Wilson to have to do a lot. I mean, Russell Wilson, he's known for making those elusive, tough plays when he has to be on the run, but when you have to be on the run, you know, 10, 20 times a game, uh, you can't make great plays on every single one of those, and it gets t- tiring. Um, and I think the last drive for the Seahawks ending with a sack is kind of emblematic of that's their situation because if they hadn't taken the sack, just thrown it away, they probably could have gone for it on fourth down with fourth and manageable instead of fourth and, what was it, 10 or 11. Um, and the Seahawks defense also struggled in this one there. Legion of Boom is long gone. Uh, they were porous down the field. Two third down conversions on pass plays ended the game, even if one was controversial. I don't even think it was that controversial. Uh, and so the Seahawks lost that one, uh, and they have to go back to the drawing board a little bit, but Russell Wilson will always be Russell Wilson. Uh, the Packers move on. So let's take a look at the championship games coming up. What I'm going to do is a little different. I'm going to just give some keys to the game for both teams. On the AFC side, the Titans going to Arrowhead to play the Chiefs. A couple of keys for the Titans are, one, uh, do the same thing you did at Baltimore. Control the clock, keep Patrick Mahomes off the field, get Derrick Henry involved early, um, and I think you have a good chance to shorten the game. Uh, Less possessions for both teams is better for Tennessee. Um, And also, don't leave the Chiefs wide receivers in space. I mean, we've sometimes found uh, that... If you play a little more man on the receivers, it's tougher. But if you have, uh, if you know, you double guys, double Tyreek Hill, uh, it's a lot easier to not only stop them from completing passes, um, but also stop them from getting those massive chunk plays uh, that the Chiefs are kind of known for. Uh, so don't leave the Chiefs wideouts in space. Uh, for Kansas City, get off to a hot start. Uh, don't do what you did against Houston because... This kind of goes with controlling the clock. You don't want the Titans to be able to slow down this game. Uh, you want as many possessions as possible. You want your high-powered offense to be able to do its thing for as long as possible. Um, and if they can do, if they can accomplish that, you know, it might be a blowout. Um, and fewer drops. This game, the part of the reason Kansas City got off to such a poor start was two third-down drops on pretty easy catches that would have gotten first downs. And I think once you get to this level, the margin of error and the window of mistakes you can make is so much smaller uh, that drops will kill your momentum. And if the Chiefs draw, get off to a slow start, um, that's really what all this is about. Um, I have no doubt that if the, this game is, if the Chiefs have the lead going into the second half, they'll run away with it. Um, and so get off to a good start for Kansas City. So my prediction uh, I've got the Chiefs winning this one, uh, 38-21. to 21.
In the NFC, the Packers and the San Francisco 49ers playing at Levi's Stadium. The keys for Green Bay, one, attack the secondary. I mean, I know I said that the secondary is pretty tough, but you've got Emmanuel Mosley probably starting in this one, and I don't know if he's started uh, that many times this year, mostly Spoon's job. Uh, But if you can attack that secondary and, more importantly, get the ball out um, and not let the line get to you and force Aaron Rodgers to have to make great plays on every down, uh, that's going to be a big key to success for them. On the defensive side, it's going to be stay home. Uh, Don't get fooled by the misdirection, all the movement. Uh, Just stay on your assignments. Don't uh, get confused. Don't lose wide receivers. I mean, if they can stay home and stop this run game, They've got a good shot at winning. Uh, For the Niners, the first key, as always, is run the damn ball. Uh, Run, run, run. Run wide, run down the middle, run with the quarterback. Uh, Do anything but run the ball uh, because it allows them to uh, play the way they want to play, which is tough, and control the ball and all that. And on the defensive side, pressure, pressure, pressure. Get to Aaron Rodgers. Don't let him sit in the pocket force him to be mobile, uh, force the receivers have to work a little or to not be able to work. Uh, you don't want Aaron Rodgers. He's Russell Wilson-like in that he can extend plays um, and find guys You know, six, seven seconds after the ball snap. So get pressure, um, and they'll be able to win this game, no problem. All right, quick take. There are a couple of things we could do. Why don't I touch both, touch on both? Let's do two quick takes. Uh, first off, Alex Cora and the fallout from the Astros scandal. I think people losing their jobs is appropriate. Uh, I mean, if if you're if you know this is happening and you don't stop it, and the league has told you, look, we're cracking down on this stuff. Uh, that's your problem, and I don't care if it was a player-driven scheme or whatever. You need to have control over your organization and what's going on, uh, and so that's their problem and. They deserve to lose their jobs. Um, The players, yeah, I mean, it's tough because the MLBPA is going to crack down and it's hard to tell who was, you know, a quote-unquote ringleader. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, if I were the league, I probably would have done the same thing. Do I think the title should be revoked? Absolutely. Uh, By the way, even though I hate the Dodgers, you know, the title should be revoked. Uh, The other quick take, Luke Keekley retiring... Uh, we're going to see a lot more of these guys retiring at 28, 29 who are having Hall of Fame careers but have a lot of money and don't feel like getting another concussion that could possibly ruin the rest of their life, their lives. Uh, as a Niners fan, we saw a lot of that firsthand with guys like Chris Borland retiring, re- or Patrick Willis retiring early, Chris Borland retiring after uh, an amazing rookie season in 2015, I believe. Um, but we're going to see a lot more of this. Um, particularly with guys who have concussion histories. Um, And I don't think the league is in any mortal danger anytime soon. I mean, these still are isolated cases. The majority of the guys come back and play, and people are going to watch. The quality isn't going to go down immensely, but it's still a problem for the league that needs to be addressed. I don't think it needs to be super high priority at the moment, um, but it is something they should start to look at. Thank you so much for listening to The Wong Takes. Uh, I think we're probably only going to do a couple more episodes, or or maybe just one for the Super Bowl, but we'll probably do a, a, a couple more episodes 
uh, in this, I guess you could call it a season. I mean, once football season is over, um, there's not, you know, a ton to talk about. Um, so I think, I'll, I mean, I'll make this decision later, but for now, I think that's the tentative plan. Um, but I will keep you guys posted. Just listen to the podcast. Um, and so check it out everywhere. I'll go into my spiel, bit.ly slash takes at gmail.com, rate and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play, send questions and voicemails. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and I will see you uh, next week.